Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives headfirst into the proverbial deep end of the latest trek into the final frontier, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Oh, hello. Hello. Zaki Hassan. Hi. And Cicero Holmes. Enduring things that no one thought were possible can be transformative. <laughs> it really can be. I mean, uh, that's. I think that's what we got from from this most recent one. So there's a lot of stuff that's that's going on here, uh, and it should make for some a pretty interesting set of perspectives from this panel. But of course, we're going to ease into our news and episode discussions just by catching up. What have you guys been up to since the last time we got together, Zachy? Uh, you know, I've I've been uh, extremely busy with uh, with classes and whatnot. So the only uh, uh, entertainment time I've had is to, for this week's uh, episode. Oh well, thank you for making the time. I know that uh, that that can be a struggle, but we always appreciate having you. So thank you, sir. Much much obliged, Rachel. What have you been up to? I don't know. I was just watching an episode of the Enterprise that I was slowly realizing was the one where Trip gets pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. As as he is one to do. (laughs) That's happening. Yeah. Rachel started over from, uh, from the beginning on enterprise. Oh, okay. So yeah. And how's it? uh, I'm surprised. I remember that one being wild. I didn't know it was like the fourth episode. It seems (laughs) really early to go. Well, that was the thing, right? Go wild. At least that I appreciated particularly from season one of enterprise is that it definitely wanted to make you feel like they could be pretty unprepared. (laughs) Yeah. They're really incompetent. (laughs) It's, It's a little bit alarming. Yeah, the, uh, you know, jumping out of a shuttle pod and T'Pol scanning the air and Archer going, put that thing away. (laughs) You don't need to scan (laughs) this planet. Like, how do you know that there's air? (laughs) Well, either way. It looks like, I could see the air. (laughs) (laughs) Those those early episodes, what was funny to me is it felt like they always went out of their way to have Archer be like, God damn, and ass, and all this. Right. And then Trip would be like, You don't, Captain. <laughs> you have no idea how far I am from knocking you on your ass. Yeah. You don't, Captain. <laughs> Good old Florida, Florida, yeah. uh, you know, feelings. Flor- Floridian Trip. That's right. Yeah. Yes. It's a beautiful thing. Cicero, what have you been up to, man? Uh, you know, um, in the world of Trek, again, uh, as it sounds like a broken record, uh, I've been uh, watching Fake Trek, a.k.a. The Orville, and holy crap, what an episode of The Orville uh, this week. Yeah, what um, the hell, Isaac? Huh? They, uh, you know, I'm not going to spoil it for those for those people that listen to Discovery and also watch The Orville, but have not watched the most recent episode. Uh, there is... Like, I, man, I did not see that coming. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I really, really enjoyed uh, what was happening there. Uh, and again, kudos to kudos to Seth MacFarlane and his team of writers and and the people that they've rehired from TNG because it really felt like 
an evolution of a TNG episode. Like, wow, you know, just coming from the mind of Seth MacFarlane or from his team of writers, it was really good. Yeah. No, it was, it was, uh, it's going to be, uh, fun to see how that ultimately resolves itself. I'm exactly because, uh, well, I'm that's kind of a, I guess, saying that he's it's trying a, to spoil it. He I'm wants to so no, so no, spoil and clown. No, 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 no. Well, I, I wanted to ask a question, but I didn't know if the question I was going to ask would constitute a spoiler because... Uh, well, go ahead and ask it, man. This is... You, you are can, the captain of this show. Right, you well, can also cut it out. That's true. I, I suppose I could. But is the is the resolution actually coming this this uh, this week? Um, well, I, I think... I, th- I would assume yes. Or it, it could be... Like, it could be that we are watching the beginning of a Zindi like mini series, oh, like within, an, arc. Yeah. an arc within, you know, within uh, this season of the Orville. So I don't think that it's like a mid season finale or anything like that. No, 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 yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Cause I mean, because the season just started in, in January, February. So, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, for them to take a hiatus now would be a little premature. I would think. Well, it should be either way. It should be should pretty, pretty fun to watch. Yeah. I'm looking yes, forward to that. Agreed, as well. Agreed. Uh, I haven't really been up to much except just work, uh, work, work, work. It's, it's, I, I did make some time to watch bread and circuses. I didn't finish it. I didn't go all the way through it, but, uh, talking with Dave a couple of weeks ago when he sat in for Zachy and he mentioned bread and circuses is just a terrible TOS episode and he's not really <laughs> wrong, but I still had a lot of fun watching hey, what I did watch from it. It's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, you know, this, it's a running gag now. We're gonna have to follow that up somehow with masks and and uh, uh, acquisition and bread and circuses and who knows what else we'd have to bring up and something like that. Shades of gray. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I want to defend that one. <laughs> I mean, hello, yeah, okay, I can defend it in the annals of clip clip show history. Okay, it, it's. Do people hate the? I'm I'm asking all of you guys because I genuinely don't know the clown episode of Voyager. Um. So it was what was funny to me was like that was the most TOS like Voyager episode throughout the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um. It felt like they stole that set from. The T like from TOS. Yeah, it was very uh, like colorful. Yeah, yeah, it was very pastel-y. Um I, I remember like going either on Wikipedia somewhere, uh, where I, I felt like that episode, or at least the response was that it was very divisive amongst fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think weirdly, what it did was it ingratiated TOS and TNG fans to the show. So it it was bad in a way that it helped to bring uh, fellow Trek fans into watching Voyager. Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, that was weird. Like they hated it. So they liked it. Yeah. Might warrant a a discussion of some kind because that was pretty, Early on in Voyager's run, Cicero, do you, or Cicero, I, of course you remember it. Zachy, do you yeah. remember the the thaw, the one with Michael McKeon as the clown? 
I have no recollection of that. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, he's not a very yeah. traditional looking clown. No, he's not. No, he's he's kind of creepy. What, what season was that? Two. That was season one. It was was this season two? I just pulled up the memory alpha page. Yeah, it's season two, episode twenty three. Okay, oh, was so it I that had, late? I had departed uh, that show. Oh, that okay. point. <laughs> oh yeah. man. Well, yeah, I remember. Man, I remember that episode as being like right in the beginning of my like watch of Voyager. Well, I mean, in the scheme um, of things, it's in the scheme of things, on, yeah. it was. Um, but that's you know that is the beauty of binging is that like a th- it it seriously felt like episode five of season one. Um, so in the scheme of things, it it was definitely early earlier on in the in the series, but like. All of that stuff just meshes together the beauty and the and the curse of binging. <laughs> yeah, well, w- well said. I think. Uh, well, I want to just to get Zachy's reaction here. I'm going to put a picture of the clown off of his memory <laughs> alpha page in the chat log. Take a take a look when you get a chance, Zachy. That that's the clown as played by Michael McKeon. All right, let's see. Well, what 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 is that? That just looks like another Michael Westmore <laughs> yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, it kind of does. But uh, well, maybe we'll have to talk about. It. Maybe we'll have to put that into the not so bad and right. and uh, and talk about. Yeah. It. To be honest, that, I, my 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 memories of Voyager, uh, and and again, that's I'm fully open to giving the show a full. Uh, uh, you know, hearing, but my memory is I drifted away because after a while it just sort of was like, Oh, here, like Michael Westmore's just gluing shit to people's face. Like that's, <laughs> we've, we've lost the thread of really making interesting aliens. And this just seems like another one of these in this line of forgettable space. People. Yeah. Well, I mean, by that point, how many had he come up with already? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not to denigrate the, the body of the man's work. There, there's like, only so much like, gas in the tank, you know? Right. <laughs> please, yeah. please. I, I, I will say, uh, Zachy94 was, was not that person anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, give me something different, Michael Westmore. <laughs> What's your problem? Oh, well, if, uh, uh, if. So, so what I will say, though, is if we are going to play uh, Discovery Debriefs. Not so bad episodes. This will not be one of my choices because I can't defend it. <laughs> wow. Well, there you go. Wow. All right. Well. So yeah, like this is not indicative of because I think Voyager is not as bad as people give it credit for being. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if you were to watch this episode, I would not be able to argue with you if you told me it was terrible. Right, sure. No, I... I, I it's the Inhumans of <laughs> Star Trek shows. You know how much Zachy loves that. Or, well, Zachy liked his sister. Zachy, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yes. The, the I, I did not mind You didn't mind I, it. I, yeah. wouldn't, right. I wouldn't go so far as like it, but I, I found it... Uh, not particularly objective, inoffensive, yeah. but but yeah, Donald yeah, Donald Trump forgettable. Donald Trump is the inhuman of presidents. <laughs> he, he is. He's. Uh, I wish he had lockjaw. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> less of him. Maybe he does have lockjaw. Actually, that would explain some of the stuff that comes out of. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Oh man. Well, let, let's move into happier territory, <laughs> shall we? So we'll we'll get into debriefs. Not so bad at some point, but. Uh, we have a renewal. 
That's worth celebrating, isn't it? Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. So on the day we're recording this, which is February 27th, Star Trek Discovery has officially been picked up for a third season on CBS All Access. Julie McNamara, executive vice president of original content at CBS All Access, said... The massive success of Star Trek Discovery's second season launch exceeded our expectations in both driving subscriber growth and generating a phenomenal response from Star Trek fans. With Alex Kurtzman and, uh, this is also part of the news, a new co-showrunner Michelle Paradise at the helm, we look forward to continuing Star Trek Discovery's journey, growing the Star Trek franchise on CBS All Access, and bringing fans new Star Trek stories for many years to come. Uh, Maybe she should have chosen her words at the end there a little bit more specifically because I think this is just a, a single season pickup, right? But, <laughs> but uh, you know, Michelle Paradise, she, she's not a, a, a name that I'm familiar with, but she was a writer producer, and she's joining Alex Kurtzman as a co showrunner. Uh, no details as of yet on when the production on the third season is going to start, but. Uh, what do you guys make of this, Rachel? Is this a, is this a good solid pickup? You happy for more discovery? I'm mad. <laughs> Some people are. <laughs> I'm no, sure. I'm not. Um, yeah, I was a little bit worried that it hadn't been picked up already. So I'm glad that yeah. uh, that that it was. I was yeah. starting to get a little bit like, why aren't they picking it up? Is it not doing very well? Maybe but- they actually see how it's doing, like with their own internal metrics, before they give the green light again. I don't know. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Zachy, season three, is season two shaping up okay for you so far? Are you happy to see this? See, season two has been, a, a for me, you know, a, a big improvement from season one. And, and I liked season one already. So I definitely like the trajectory of the show. Uh, I, I, it never occurred to me that the show wouldn't get picked up. I mean, CBS has invested so much in sort of making, you know, Star Trek, uh, and and CBS All Access synonymous that you know they're gonna they're gonna try to play that thread out as much as they can. But the the one thought that I had was uh, while I am happy to see the renewal, I am a little bit sad that we will never we will very likely never again get these hundred plus episodes runs of a Star Trek show. Mm-hmm. You know, thanks to these shortened seasons, it's like I mean let's let's assume this one lasts five seasons, maybe seven. Uh, you know, it'll be 60 episodes, 70 episodes, something like that. And I'm like, it's cool. I'm glad it's lasting. But it's like, you know, it makes me nostalgic for those like 26 episode seasons that we oh, used yeah. to get. We were spoiled mm-hmm. rotten. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, yeah, if uh, if Discovery, you know, plays itself out in the natural course of time, then it, you make a good point. It could very well not even reach the, the episode count of TOS which is uh, a pretty weird thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are going to be red in the face after season 11. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we will see. We will see. Cicero, what do you think of the pickup? How does this news strike you? Uh, well, it's, it's a little, obviously I'm happy about, uh, I think season two has been phenomenal. I thought season one, um, you know, had some, uh, not growing pains, but ending pains. Right. Um, yeah. But but uh, season two has been has been great. Uh, so I'm you know obviously happy about the pickup, but I am worried 
about things a little bit. And uh, so, you know, w- one bone of contention with, with Zachy, if you say like just with his, with his math a little, if we go five episodes and we assume that we're going to get 12, uh, we got uh, 15 last season, we're getting 14 this season. If we assume that we're getting 12, we'll be about 80 episodes uh, over, over the course of uh, five seasons or not too no, shabby. No. Yeah. Uh, no, that math is wrong too. Sorry. Sorry, Sharif Jackson. Um, <laughs> but, but you know if, if we go, right, right. If we go 70 episodes, we'll, we'll be in the mid eighties. But um, uh, the thing, the thing that I will point out to you is that syndication was, is a metric from a bygone era. Syndication denoted success for sitcoms. Uh, for, well, for all shows mm-hmm. in, in the, in the age of broadcast and even early uh, uh, basic cable television uh, in, in the world of streaming and you have a show that is streaming only syndication means nothing sure. because as long as the service survives, you assume that the show will also be there. So you, you know, so it still has the same ability to gain new fans and uh, you know uh, new supporters through the service. I mean, one one presumes that CBS wants to purpose this series outside of uh, you know just CBS All Access. I'm sure stripping it uh, for syndication is part of a you know agenda at some point. Yeah, may, maybe, maybe I don't know. I you know I I wonder. I wonder if that's really a thing. Um, I, I mean, you know, because because oh yeah, go uh, ahead. Sometimes with Star Trek, you never know. Like I think under typical yes. circumstances, I don't know. I just have such little faith in CBS to properly leverage the Star Trek franchise because I know that part of the reason that they went through the effort for. Uh, remastering and restoring the next generation was so that they could sell it to HD TV networks. Uh, it wasn't just sure. to release it on Blu-ray, but uh, you know, I, I don't, I, obviously this is anecdotal, but I can't really think of too many other instances uh, where I might be, or I might have access to cable and see an actual HD broadcast of the next generation, but there are streaming services uh, in other parts of the world, even and uh, and other networks and things that uh, take advantage of it that way. But with Discovery, yeah, it's the only other place I've seen it digitally distributed um, besides Netflix in like the in some other parts of the world. I know that they're selling the season digitally on Vudu. I think right, um, sure, sure, but. Yeah, it's it's anyone's guess, but I think Zachy's definitely onto something in that that's that should be part of the equation, if not in the near future, then sometime down the the line when Discovery becomes legacy content. Yeah, I, I, you know, I I question. I, that. I mean, obviously, obviously, if if someone wants to buy a thing that you have, then you sell that thing to yeah. them. Um, but I don't. I I really question whether or not that's in the plans. And I just want to make this point, Rachel. I know you 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 have something, but it's the thing that worries me the most about this is this kind of month-to-month lease that they seem to be giving Discovery. Mm. By just by just greenlighting season three and renewing it for season three on the heels 
of the 17,000 Star Trek shows that they're trying to produce on this on this uh, service to say that you know only six, it took 6 episodes in of your second season for the flagship show on this service to be renewed just for the next season mm-hmm. um even even though like they said it exceeded their expectations in terms of the viewership and and uh, the the connect rate, mm-hmm. um, just it really worries me about how they're positioning themselves with with Trek and how they're positioning themselves uh, specifically with the flagship version that they're one piece of true original content that they're producing. Yeah, um, has there ever been a complete streaming show that has been sold to cable no and for syndicate no but but there aren't there aren't uh most of those streaming shows haven't run long enough for you to sit back and say that should be a thing. The closest we've gotten to that is some HBO shows, right? Yeah, have gone uh, have gone to syndication, right? Um, but but you know, obviously, obviously, heavily, heavily censored. But but nonetheless, they have gone to syndication. But none of the streaming, yeah, Sex in the City and syndication is just garbage. It's like, <laughs> right, right. like half of it is it's just, just called gone. the end of city. Yeah. <laughs> There was a there was a Mad TV sketch where like uh, they put the Sopranos in syndication on Pax TV on Pax TV right and it was like five minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember that it's like what the f-? and then it just cut to some yeah, other yeah, TV. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the gabagool. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I mean, well, d- d- just to, um, uh, in answer to Rachel's question, uh, Netflix is. Uh, in the process of of trying to find a a off Netflix home for House of Cards, so that's huh. a show that will potentially be so so that you know and and when you think about it, I mean streaming original series that's a phenomenon that's less than ten years old, so exactly. it is something that is pretty much inevitable. We're going to start to see uh, streaming originals get sold into to uh, syndication. Hmm. All right. Well, I you know what I, I while I disagree. I will I will uh uh bow down to to the level of expertise that you obviously have. So Well there are like um, 700 yeah. channels on cable still and they have to fill 24 yeah. hours of content. So Right. You know, CSI and cops. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually and, uh, people get and, sick of CSI and cops. Right. And uh what was what are those guys uh impractical jokers? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh jeez. Now I love that show. I, yeah, you know. I do too. I do too. I don't know why, but yes. Well, well, well let's steer it back to Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, no, but I think all those points are, are well taken. And obviously we're thrilled that we're going to have another season of Star Trek Discovery to look forward to. In addition to other stuff that, uh, honestly, I mean, CBS All Access seems like it's shaping up. We might have to convene a special episode in early April to talk about how the twilight zone lands in the beginning. Sure. Uh, that might be kind of fun, but, uh, but let's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's, uh, let's move along to our discussion for star Trek discovery season two, episode six, the sounds 
of Thunder. After Saru attempts to reassure the recently resurrected Dr. Culber that he will come to feel like himself again soon, another Red Angel signal is received, which leads Discovery to Saru's homeworld of Kaminar. Tyler informs Captain Pike and Burnham that Section 31 believes the signals have an element of time travel involved and urges extreme caution as Saru and Burnham prepare to beam down to the surface of Kaminar, Saru's homeworld. Uh... I wanted to get this kind of out of the gate because um, time travel, now that it's being introduced at, uh, into the fabric of discovery, obviously there is a long lineage of time travel stories across the Star Trek franchise. Some effective ones, some not so effective ones, but uh, some of the, the best stories that the franchise has produced uh, often fall into time travel. And obviously it's way too early to tell if, First of all, we don't know how it's going to interact with this show, but it's also far too early to tell if it's going to impact it a lot or if it's going to actually reach the critical highs of some of the other stuff. But what do you guys think about adding the time travel element? I've seen some Star Trek conspiracy theorists say that this is some kind of larger hint at a new alternate reality and that Discovery is never in continuity because it's an alternate reality again. And I think that's pretty far-fetched. But uh, are there any indications to you guys about how a time travel thread could end up playing out with this? And is this something that excites you or not? Rachel. So it's not Riker in his Anbo Jitsu suit. <laughs> the red angel. That was red. Yeah. Um, I, what do I think it is? Uh, well, how does it strike you? Do you like the idea of time travel being a part of this? I don't problem. dislike it. Okay. I wouldn't say it, it excites me particularly because it's all I think whenever time travel is involved, you get the situation where you have to be like, oh, I'm not going to think about it too much because if I think about it too much, it doesn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of usually a minus for me. Um, but it, it doesn't bother me and i don't think there's going to be like another alternate universe or whatever happening yeah yeah. um yeah i mean my instinct is that it's not it's not necessarily going to be somebody that we've met before it's just going to be somebody from the future Mm -hmm. um or you know maybe the iconians time traveling i don't know Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I feel like it's not, you know, it's not going to be Riker in his Anbo Jitsu suit or <laughs> Unfortunately. Old, old Spock in his Anbo Jitsu suits. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, Anbo Jitsu. It's, uh, hey, they, they wrote it. It's canon. It's a thing. Uh, Zachy, time travel interacting with Discovery, uh, the Red Angel potentially being a time traveler. How does all of this stuff uh, catch you? At this point, it, I want it to be Future Guy from Enterprise. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I want them to finally tell us who that was. That's the only solution I will accept for that. Um, beyond that, eh, I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever they do, I guess it's fine. You know, Star Trek and time travel go together like peas and carrots. Um, so you, you knew it was inevitable that it would it would weave its it's a uh, time traveling tendrils into this show. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm always yeah. intrigued. All right. Great. 
Cicero, time travel, does that uh, does that excite you or are you just kind of rolling your eyes at another Trek trope or what do you think? Man, so um, I hope they're not like Beats or maybe I hope they are like Beats. So I'll, I'll answer this question by telling you a story. Oh. So, and when I say Beats, I don't mean the things you put on your headphones mm-hmm. or put on your ears or the things you listen to. I'm talking about the things you eat with two oh, Okay, all right. So the very first time I had Beats, my mother put them on my plate and told me to try them. If I like them, then I can, you know, eat them, obviously. If I don't like them, then I don't have to eat them. Well, Beats, when cut correctly, look exactly like cranberry sauce right out of the That's can. That's true. So... Uh, if you're expecting to taste cranberry sauce and you taste beets and you're a child, th- it, it is quite a uh, disturbing revelation <laughs> that it does not taste like cranberry sauce. And as they've been throwing, tossing around this idea that uh, that time travel is the element that the red angel is using. And that's, you know, that is the gimmick here, time travel. Um, I really, man, I've rolled my eyes really hard. Um, I didn't want every season of discovery to be some kind of goofy gimmick. Last season, it was the mirror universe. I thought there were parts of that that were done really well, but uh, you know, as Zaki had, had argued correctly, I think it, it, you know, they, they spent a little too much time there. Um, if time travel is that element, I don't want Discovery to be the gimmick show, that every year we've got to figure out what the gimmick of the, of the season is going to be. Um, so my hope, though, is that it turns out to be beats, where as an adult today, now that I know what they taste like, I really enjoy beats. Um, I think they're very good. Obviously, they're healthy and all that other stuff, but I think they're they're good. They they I've developed a taste for them. And I'm hoping that if it is time travel, that the writers help me to develop a a taste for the the specific type of time travel that they are going to put on my discovery plate. <laughs> I'll, I'll, yes. I'll, I might have to uh to remix a version of that if if this is going to play out in the fullness then we might get cicero's agony booth uh yeah i was about to say i'm like opposite <laughs> of agony booth I'm right like, right like, bring, <laughs> all good, bring on the time right. travel and then we got uh, oh. i'm like everything is i bring you peace and love <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I mean, I, I can, I'm, I'm kind of of two minds about it because I can certainly see Cicero's point of view, but I probably am closer to Zaki's just because I, there are only a few time travel stories in Star Trek that I dislike. You know, it's, it's generally a, a mechanic in the, in a story that works pretty well. And this is another thing that I think um, gives, the built up canon over the last 50 plus years, uh, a, a huge advantage in, in Star Trek's column, because with all that established history spanning hundreds of years in universe, there's a lot of different places that they can go uh, to, to make things interesting. You know, we've, we've seen stories 
that go into the present day. We've seen stories that go into the, the distant past from our perspectives. And then we've seen stories that stretch into the far flung future for us and for the characters themselves. And, uh, a lot of the time those stories tend to hit the mark. There's, there's obviously some exceptions to that rule, but I'm interested to see where it goes. The only thing that I think would make me roll my eyes like Cicero is if it, it takes, um, if, if it brings in a character that maybe shouldn't be interacting with uh, time travel in this way, unless it was maybe one of the characters that was already a principal on this show, that might be kind of interesting, but I, I don't need to see a time traveling Jim Kirk or, or Leonard McCoy, you know, although, God. You, you know, well, time traveling Leonard McCoy. Yeah, I don't think it. Yeah, he, no. my Adam scrambled. <laughs> Space is disease and danger wrapped in darkness and silence. So is time. But yeah. So guys, guys, wait a minute, guys, wait a minute. What if? What if? And I know this isn't the case, um, because it was clear from the silhouette of the Red Angel that it was a woman. True. Yeah. But what if it was Kraft, Kraft from the short trek Calypso? That would honestly maybe blow my mind a little bit. That I wouldn't mind. <laughs> what if it's Harry Mud in his <laughs> Oh, that would be oh man, I would I would stand up. <laughs> I would stand up. He never clap. said where that yeah. beach is that he'd be sipping jippers on was or when. So that is correct. Oh man, who knows? Well, either way, I mean, yeah, I mean, craft. I really hope that we see some some paid dividends. Now that you mention it, man, the fact that Discovery was a thousand years in the future in that short, it seemed a little arbitrary at the time. But uh, hey. Mark it down. Cicero might have called it. We'll have to see what happens. Or or it could be more more probably more correctly, it could be the AI. Discovery's confirmed discovery. Yeah. Yeah, that's possible. It's possible. But oh hey, now I'm just more intrigued to see where things go. But uh let's move on with the plot. So Burnham reports that the Ba'ul achieved warp drive capability 20 years earlier and made a hostile first contact with the USS Archimedes in response to a signal from Kaminar. Tyler asks why they attacked if they sent the signal, but Saru admits that the signal had come from him and that he had created a transmitter with Ba'ul technology in the hope someone would receive it, which we saw in Saru's dedicated short trek. Uh, when Saru and Burnham beam down to the planet... He reunites with his sister, Serana, who is now a Kelpian priestess. The oppressive Ba'ul soon interrupt the reunion, though, and discover Saru's presence, forcing him to return to Discovery. Uh, so we asked a while ago, when the shorts were first coming out, what was the point, right? That was kind of a big... Um, a, a big tentpole of our conversation. And now Cicero brings in a whole potential other angle to it. Uh, but in this case specifically, what do you think of the legwork that was accomplished by, uh, you know, telling us sort of the beginning of this story in a short track and an external narrative 
uh, when seeing Saru reconnect with his sister. Is that enough to justify the expansive nature of the short treks in feeding the series proper for you? And Zachy, I'm not sure if you've seen that short trek, but uh, I know. Oh, you did. did. Okay, great. Uh, So question to you then, and, you know, considering that you uh, were a big component of the conversation that we had had in talking about sort of these cross media uh, plays that Star Trek is now dabbling in with something like this. How does all of this uh, combine for you? Uh, well, I'm of two minds. I mean, I like that they're, you know, they're attempting to, they, they want, you know, that side content to be essential, uh, but, uh, you know, which is cool. But on the other hand, it's like, well, why not find a way to weave it into the, you know, the the episodes as a whole so it's i don't know you know it's i mean like i didn't watch that episode until after seeing oh okay this, right because oh, I, okay. oh, I, okay. I, I need to do some homework and i have to imagine a lot of other people are probably going to be in that same boat uh so i think it's cool i mean I, you know it makes everything feel important but then it's like well if everything is important then how do you make sure everybody's keeping up with everything you know maybe this will be the thing maybe this like now people will be like oh uh we need to make sure we're keeping up with so when when you were going in to watch that short then did you feel like there were aspects of the plot in the episode proper that you needed to then go and pick up or uh or did you feel differently about it i i I was a little like i was like did i miss something there was a little bit of that and then I got online and there was like, Oh, it's tied in with that episode. So I was like, Oh, okay. Let me, you know, so I had to sort of mm-hmm. catch up. Um, and, and again, I think, I think it's cool. I, I like the idea of making those short tricks feel more, more, uh, you know, uh, crucial because that was my beef with whatever the, the first one was. I can remember Tilly, what it's about Tilly because one, I, yeah. Yeah. You know, just that felt like a, like a webisode or something and i you know so i i like that it's like no no this is this is gonna matter uh i just i wonder if there's a way to make it feel less like homework you know i think that's a fair perspective rachel how do you feel about that does all of this stuff come together for you in your emotional journey of watching them reconnect Uh, yeah i mean i think that i was really excited and happy that something from the shorts was coming in. I think that while we were watching it, I did have the thought that if you hadn't seen the short, they were going through a lot of facts pretty quickly. That may have been a little bit confusing. Sure. Um, And so I'm not surprised that Zachy got the feeling that like, Hey, I missed something. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't know. I think I'd like the shorts a little bit better if they were like bonus, not, required viewing um which is kind of how they were initially sold to us as yeah. bonuses instead of and i feel like in this episode it kind of veered into the required viewing or like required viewing to get the full kind of experience mm-hmm. um so i don't know how i feel about that kind of okay <laughs> yeah like if that's what you know if that's what you're gonna do that's what you're gonna do but mm-hmm. um yeah. All right. Cicero, how does all of this come together for you? Because you, you've pretty much felt like every short trek was better than the last one. Uh, right. So n- now that you see this material sort of bear fruit in the 
actual series, a question that we all weren't quite sure how to answer when they were coming out. Uh, did the experiment work for you or do you think it might have the potential to feel like homework like uh, Zachy and Rachel are saying? Well, um, so I think if if we guys remember correctly, while we were talking about the short tracks, especially when we were talking about the, the very first one, um, that one of the things that I said that I was looking for was um, so, some insight into the characters, some some extra bit of information that I could take with me into season two. And while Zachy called it homework, I would disagree a little. I would say that it wasn't necessarily homework, but maybe extra credit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that and and you know, and obviously Zachy will have a a different understanding of it because you know you can't unknow the things that you know. And because we watched those short treks already. I can't tell you whether or not my perspective about, you know, like I know that I know inherently that I have a, a much richer perspective about the things that, uh, you know, uh, transpired during the course of this episode, especially with regards to the relationship between Saru and his sister, uh, with Saru and Serana, uh, than Zaki would have having not seen that short trek prior to seeing the episode. But I don't know. I can't answer for myself if that would would have been an impediment to my ability to enjoy the episode as a whole um zaki has has already said that that he felt like he was missing something and um the answer to that is is unequivocally yes because this you know because saru's short trek tied directly in, you know, and they used, you know, they used like 45 seconds worth of footage directly from the short trek um, to, to kind of give the exposition of everything that transpired during that, during that particular episode to, you know, give to the viewer who hadn't watched it um, so that they had an understanding of it. But the, you know, the, the question is not whether or not, it was incomplete, but whether or not you understood it enough to, you know, to, to enjoy the episode. Um, and, you know, I can't answer that only Zachy can, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, amongst, amongst us, but um, I just felt like it was extra credit. And it came together for you emotionally. Um, yes. Yes. I, you know, I think last week I talked a lot about, um, the the uh you know that that Saru would go back to uh Kandahar and and try to be Moses and he would be rejected um and I think that he I, I think he was rejected at least a little bit but not not in the way that I had suspected um I talked a lot about the Baul and thinking that the Baul and the uh was just basically a Kelpian that had evolved that gone through uh Kelpian puberty um, that turns out not necessarily we'll, we'll, we'll to be the case. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but like so, like those those things. I was still in my own head canon, trying to like hope that they weren't using the stories that I wrote in my head, <laughs> and that they were better better writers than I was. Uh, so for the most part, I I think they are. They were. Uh, so I was yeah, happy. They, they, I mean, they, that's always the, the issue with anything you're really looking forward to. You always write your own script and then you compare what, what actually happened with, uh, with what was in your head going in and hope that what they came up with is better. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 
I thought that the the emotion, particularly in the reconnection between Saru and Serrano, was uh, it was good. I um, I'm glad that I saw the short before I saw the episode because then. I mean, it's just like a, a emotional accumulation, right? I mean, you you, sure. you have the preconceived notions. Family is such an important part of this season overall. And I like that we're sort of getting to see a lot of different angles to that pretty core concept. So I was happy with it, just speaking for myself. But let's move along a little bit. So the Ba'ul demand that Captain Pike surrender Saru. Pike refuses, but Saru ends up giving himself up to prevent a battle. Saru and Serana, taken to a secret Ba'ul citadel, are confronted by one of the Ba'ul. Using information from the Sphere, which we saw in an obel for Karen, Tilly and Lieutenant Commander Arium discover that Kelpians were once Kaminar's dominant prey species and nearly wiped out by the Ba'ul 2,300 years ago. So the oppressors became the oppressees, and the, the balance of power was completely upset. Uh, before the, the question that you guys do see on the outlines in front of you, first thing I want to ask you guys that just kind of pops into my head, I feel like we need to talk about it. How crazy do the Ba'ul look? How crazy do they sound? Because honestly... I can probably count on one hand, maybe just on a couple of fingers, the amount of times that Star Trek has actually unsettled me. Uh, and the first time that immediately comes to my mind, I was uh, like eight years old. So I'm not really sure how much that counts. But when the Ba'ul hail Discovery and when they're talking through the PA system, and then all, 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 of course, when we actually do get to see what one of them looks like, I found the design, the sound, uh, even their their spacecraft genuinely unsettling. What did you guys think of the design of the Ba'ul? Zaki? Well, it, it beats uh, you know people with like crap glue to their face. So. <laughs> AKA all uh, of no, Star no, Trek, really right? Yeah, exactly. It you know what it felt like? It felt it reminded me of uh, it. It was like um, Stranger Things. Yeah, there's a little bit of that, and it it, it also reminded me of oh uh, yeah from mm-hmm. from, uh, but like with money <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Metamucil and printer toner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I dug it. I thought I thought very. Yeah, cool, I mean, but, it was very Lovecraftian too. I thought you know. Yeah, which, which I'm sure was also a big influence on Stranger Things, but uh, yeah, it was just slimy and gross and scary all at the same time. Rachel, what did you think of the bowel? I thought it was really cool. It reminded me of Alien. Oh yeah, I can see that. It was drooly and gooey yeah. and stuff. I don't know. I kind of wanted to see more, but uh, they also showed a lot of restraint. Uh, having it just kind of be there for a little while and then go away. Maybe it was expensive, but uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> like. Um, it was cool because it was scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and uh, Cicero, I know that you were excited to see them. Did this? Uh, did this meet your expectations? I feel like we haven't seen the Bible yet. What do you mean by that? It's a hologram. Well, well, uh, not necessarily a hologram, but I think that hologram. <laughs> Now that we, you know, so now that we know the quote unquote truth about uh, uh, 
politics, you know, uh, cultural and and uh, species politics on uh, Kandahar. Uh, Kam- was it Kaminar or Kandahar? Kaminar. Yeah, yeah I, uh, you know, I get it right. <laughs> um, it's, it, it makes sense to me that the Ba'ul would do whatever they could to make themselves seem more intimidating than they actually oh, are. Oh, okay. Uh, like, uh, sort of like a Force Awakens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or, or you know, I immediately I thought of Wizard of Oz. Okay. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're they're the men behind the curtains because again, if the now, obviously, once or, uh, well, 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 uh, I gotta Pope, redeem myself, and without using just a Star Wars reference, like Baylock's puppet. Let's go with that. There you go. All right, all right. There you go. All right, okay. But post pubescent uh, Saru obviously was very strong, and he's got the spikes, and he's do- you know he does all the things. But at the same time, I feel like if what they were, if the Baul looked like that thing that we saw there there's no way that they would just be indiscriminately almost extinguished mm-hmm. they look like they could put up a fight cuz they had spikes and you know and all this other stuff and obviously they you know they developed all this technology but i don't think i don't think we've actually seen the baul because if the baul looked like that they would be able to fight back maybe they're um, like that but they're like 5 better. inches tall maybe 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 that was like thousands of Baul <laughs> all together at, at one at one time. That's possible. I mean, uh, all I know is that they unsettled the crap out of me. That's that's it. Yeah. I think that was obviously that was the point from the costume and the design team. But I think that was also the point from. Oh the yeah, Baul. Oh, and, that, and that's a really interesting hypothesis. I, I kind of hope that we get to see a little bit more. Uh, readily because I mean you do kind of extrapolate backwards right because if you think of okay well if the if the Kelpians actually preyed upon the Ba'ul at some point in history then I mean not the Kelpians are pushovers at least from what we've seen of Saru when he's uh, a little more unleashed right but uh, but let's talk about those dynamics because I have to admit a lot of surprise it took things in a bit of a different direction that I than I would have expected. Rachel and I were both saying that we thought the Kelpians and the Baal would prove to be like the same species, but this is much more interesting. And how do you guys feel about the way that this conflict was portrayed, particularly when it comes to sort of the dynamics of, uh, of oppression, I guess. Cicero, keep, keep going, man. What do you think of that? Well, yeah. So this was the thing that most intrigued me about this particular episode. And, and, you know, unfortunately, my partner is kind of tapped out just because of time, not because of interest in, in uh, discovery. But I really wanted, so I'm, you know, I'm happy I have the show because I've really wanted to talk about the dynamics of this particular situation um, and just the, the politics of it all. Because the Ba'ul was, were, were facing extinction from, you know, from the, primitive kelpians uh who who just you know who basically just followed their instincts um and 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 preyed on on this species and they figured out a way to save themselves and in order to continue their preservation the only thing they they 
the the thing that they thought that they had to do was to oppress their oppressor. And I can understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 it's only serious is honestly, it's only because Saru is a character that we are supposed to know and love that I think our perspectives about the Ba'ul are are prejudiced so much. Had we seen a if if Saru was actually a Ba'ul and we came back to to uh to the planet that begins with K and sounds like Mandahar. Um <laughs> uh I think that our perspectives about the exact same situation would be dramatically different. Um, you know, where we could be we could be having a conversation with Saru the Ba'ul that says that is, yeah, we understand why you did it, but do you understand why maybe you should change that going forward? Mm-hmm. Um and and how you deal with the Kelpians as a species now that you guys are at this point in your evolution, both uh physically, physiologically, and technologically. Um and and I man, I really I hope we revisit this because philosophically, there I, to me, there's a lot of meat on. Oh, that. sure, um, and I think it also goes back to the question too, because the Baul, they clearly harbor a ton of resentment towards the Kelpians for for who knows what. They never went into detail about that, but the Kelpians. Genocide. Genocide. Well, well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I, we know more specifically about how the Baul have been repressing the Kelpians uh, since uh, since the tables were turned, and obviously the resentment there it just it feeds a vicious cycle on both ends. Now that the Kelpians are starting to become more aware of who they were, does that come with a level of understanding that could lead to some kind of a, a beneficial coexistence? If they can actually let bygones be bygones, or are the wounds too fresh on one side to prevent that from happening? I honestly don't know. I, I think it's a difficult question. Yeah, that's why. That's why I hope that uh, you know. I mean, this is something that we don't. You know, I would love to see it revisited this this season, but I think that we've already got enough mysteries sure. to solve. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. Um, but like i think leaving this open ended gives us an opportunity to revisit it in season 3 mm-hmm. and beyond yeah very well said rachel what do you think of the way that this dynamic is cuz i know that you were as just about as surprised as i was probably that this is the direction they were going to go is this uh how does this conflict in this sort of cycle of oppression strike you yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I thought like the um that the there would be more, I guess, resistance from the um Kelpians. Um I think I, they didn't really dive into any of the sort of philosophical aspects of it. And the idea that now Kaminar has been plunged into chaos. Um yeah. and uh the Kelpians didn't really seem to have any feelings about that like they um i mean they were confused but it's i don't i don't know would they long for how things were before or they happy for their freedom um i don't really know um 
there's also sort of the aspect of the Ba'ul having been sort of oppressed into into becoming evil or whatever that they're not you know that they're not evil they're just traumatized Mm -hmm. um so i think that has that's a that's an interesting um dynamic um but none of it was really explored is the thing is they just sort of set it up and then like liberated the kelpians and then we're like yay and (laughs) i feel like well, Pike wasn't like yay though. He seemed. I think he was uncomfortable because, like, he's like, I don't know if this is like within General Order One. Like yeah. everything I'm doing, I feel like his arm was kind of twisted into this whole situation. It kind of felt like it. Yeah, yeah. like he was like, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. Um, so that that's what I how I was reading his discomfort. Um, I yeah, I just I hope that they revisit it and kind of actually do some sort of delving into these concepts mm-hmm. um i think they just set them up without really taking any kind of um stance stance position. or yeah i mean you don't have to take a stance they didn't really ask they didn't really ask a question about uh, uh, a question right mm-hmm. like i i think a lot of uh, a lot of these kinds of star trek episodes that have some sort of like moral quandary is just like was this the right thing to do yeah huh? and i don't think that they i don't think that this episode really asked a question i think it just was like yes good they're liberated and mm-hmm. i think I, the question came from me like well is that like is is that good like they were kind of liberated against their will i don't know mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope it's revisited. Zaggy, what do you think about that? Was this uh, concept sufficiently explored? Do you think that it was intentional that they maybe didn't explore it as uh, sufficiently as uh, as they could have? And and what do you think of the idea of the uh, the setup of the cycle of oppression itself? Uh, well, that's very compelling, and it's very Trekian, you know. Uh, in that it's making, it's using this alien civilization to make, you know, sort of a broader observation about human nature. Uh, I, I, and, and in terms of the resolution, you know, that too felt very Trekian, where, you know, that that that's sort of a Trek trope. Like we just at the end, we're like, all right, done, moving on. You know. Uh, however, I I do think uh, the resolution or the way the way the 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 plot unfolded does uh, broaden the, the point that I made a couple weeks ago about the inherent friction you have when you have a series where it's a Star Trek show, but the main character is not the captain. And we see that really illust- illustrated here where Pike is sort of like a passenger in this mm-hmm. decision, mm-hmm. Uh, which is really, you know, uh, uh, Burnham and Saru are the ones who are, you know driving the plot understandably because pike is a glorified guest star in in this season and so that's that's and i'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing but i do you know that's been interesting for me to watch where the way the the ways in which pike is given agency and the way in sure. which he is not that's fair you know yeah and um i mean ultimately and I think I alluded to this when we were talking about this briefly when we were getting ready to watch this episode. You know, is this the kind of, or is there a, a kind of question like this that has been a thorn across the the side of human history? 
would it be more or less conscious for Star Trek to come in and fix that problem? And uh, usually, more often than not, the the position that I take is that it's more conscious to leave it hanging uh, because these are the kinds of things that aren't. Uh, I mean, it was it was the same kind of philosophy that, and I'm, I know I'm crossing the streams again, but. You know, DC Comics during World War II sent a bunch of uh, comic book covers of Superman pounding the crap out of Hitler and Hirohito, but the stories themselves really never touched on the war. Why? Because it would be disingenuous to show soldiers that Superman could just solve the the, the conflict that you are potentially willing to lay down your life for. It's disingenuous. Uh, and systemic oppression and a recycle a recycled kind of oppression is complex enough that, you know, Star Trek's not just going to be able to come in and solve it with simplicity because that's not how those kinds of problems work. But I think Rachel does have a point in that it wasn't explored significantly enough to necessarily set up that moral quandary uh, definitively as we understand it. And there's a lot of other, uh, factors that surround this concerning the decisions who, uh, that were made by members of the crew and, uh, what this could actually mean for the, the planet itself. Is this a good choice? Is this a bad choice? So I, and and I agree with Cicero that I hope that this is something that gets revisited because there's potentially some really valuable and, and, uh, potent storytelling material here, but I'm not going to say that it didn't make me turn my head because it absolutely did. Like, uh, if, I hope that this is the prologue to something that we see a little bit more specifically. And, you know, Saru's the only Kelpian in Starfleet right now. So who knows where things could go and how Kelpians could be interacting with the Star Trek universe going forward. Although I still haven't seen a Denobulan on Discovery and I want to. Come on, man. <laughs> Give me at least one. Uh, but let's, uh, let, let's wrap up the plot here so that we can move on to the last discussion question. Uh, so Pike piggybacks the Baul oversight technology and triggers Vaharai in all Kelpians. And in retaliation, the Baul activate the network of village pylons, which are all just weapons, to wipe out the race. Before Discovery can actually stop the Baul, though, the Red Angel appears and renders all of the Baul technology inoperative. Serana pledges to help her people find a peaceful new balance with the Baul, Saru reports to Pike that the Red Angel is a humanoid wearing a high-technology suit, and Pike shares his report with Tyler in the spirit of cooperation, but their conversation eventually degenerates with Pike calling Section 31 paranoid and Tyler taking a subtle jab at the Enterprise's absence from the war, not really understanding the losses that were endured. Um so how satisfied were you guys with the way that this episode ended? Because it seems like just this one has thrown a lot of irons into the fire. You know, we've got time travel, the Red Angel potentially being a time traveler, but having some sort of technological edge, the ideological <laughs> the, the ideological conflict between Starfleet and Section 31 is a little bit more overt now after this episode. But with all of these uh, these irons in the fire sort of combining and coalescing into the way that this episode ended. What do you make of the way that this one shaped up specifically and the larger implications on the season going forward? Zachy. I, I dig it, man. I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm, I, I said at the top, I'm really 
liking the the rhythm they've found for this season. They're doing a really nice job of having compelling B and C plots that are carrying forward and yet giving each episode for the most part, you know, most of the episodes a good like, you know, making a meal out of each episode and I felt like that, you know, that was it's doing a good job of uh harkening back to traditional trek which was very sort of uh, you know, strenuously uh, one and done, and while accounting for the fact that we live in an age of you know uh, continuing subplots and things like that. So the, I, this is for me another another solid entry in a very excellent Cicero. Yeah, man, I was again really satisfied. I think the writers uh, do a phenomenal job with dialogue in this in this uh, show, and they do a better job with dialogue for recurring characters. Um, you know, the more, the more time we have with the characters, the more in depth they become, um, the more uh, painful the jabs are when the, when the, when the jabs are thrown and they're not even jabs there to, you know, uh, borrow a boxing metaphor, mm-hmm. they're hooks. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're hooks to the body. Uh, so uh, both, both uh, Pike and uh, Tyler were able to to throw some really, really tough digs at at, at each other, um, and you know, and the fact that Tyler is is really this quickly kind of bought into the Section Thirty One philosophy. He is, you know, that he's dr- drunk that Kool Aid it, it, so quickly. Doesn't it? Doesn't seem weird. It makes sense. Um, totally does. I agree. And. and uh, and like the fact that he's able to justify the things that they do uh, really works well. Um, and I, I'm really looking forward to, to this antagonistic relationship between Pike and, and Tyler. Um, yeah. This season yeah. is great. Agreed. Great. Oh, Oh geez. Hold on one second. We lost our headphone. How did that happen? Okay, there we go. Me. It Uh-oh. got wrapped up in my cocoon of blankets. Okay. Rachel, <laughs> they don't want you to know what I think. Um, no, I, I really like this episode. Uh, I know I kind of was um, digging at it a little bit, but um, I know I, I had complained about pacing issues earlier in the season, and I this episode and the last episode, I think – resolved those for me like Mm -hmm. i think that they were much more focused and um had uh yeah i i didn't you know i didn't feel like whiplash from going too too fast um i don't know at what point that the series changed showrunners maybe it was at that point i don't know possible um or if that even makes a difference on camera i don't know I don't really know what a showrunner does, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I think that it, it seems to be just getting better and better with every episode and uh, is really enjoyable. So I'm yeah. really happy. Yeah. I'm inclined to agree. I mean, the, the way that these things are sort of coalescing, particularly by introducing section 31, you know, I wasn't totally sold in uh, the way that they were brought on in season two through Giorgio, but I agree with you guys. I mean, Tyler is the perfect character to to tie into this this agency, this shadow organization. 
and uh, seeing that conflict play out in a more overt way than we've probably seen uh, considering Section 31's other relatively limited appearances across the franchise. Uh, you know, we saw it a little bit in Enterprise where I forget what the, the Section 31 ops name was, but Captain Archer actually talked to him and uh, you got to see them butt heads a little bit. But this seems a little deeper than that exploitation was. And yeah, the fact that Tyler has sort of found a, a new calling is intriguing for that character, but you also have to wonder if it's just going to all come crashing down because of exactly who he's thrown in with. And, uh, and I love how uh, Pike and Leland are kind of mirrors of each other in a way uh, because clearly they know each other, but they also have very different philosophies on what they want to see done, even if what they want to see happen is the same. And I find that really intriguing. So Hopefully that's a thread that they can carry over into the actual Section 31 show as well. But I honestly don't know what to make of the Red Angel. I need more information, and uh, I know that we're, we're going to be getting more as the as the weeks go on. Doesn't look like there is going to be any break in this season at all. It's going to be straight through into April uh, when season two ultimately does bow out. Uh, so it'll be pretty much full speed ahead from here. But I think. That's going to do it for episode 37 of Discovery Debrief. Anybody have anything to add before I take us out? Who do you guys think the Red Angel is? I know, Chris, you just said you really don't have an idea. But, uh, but Rachel, do you have a, a guess as to who the Red Angel no. is or what? <laughs> I don't. I, I have no idea. <laughs> what, if it's, what if it's Jean-Luc Picard? <laughs> <laughs> synergy across CBS all right, access. Right, right. That is that is that is the Picard <laughs> show. Is him flying around changing history? I have to put on my fake hips. You know, you know. <laughs> let, let me just put this out there. I I think the real Red Angel is well said. <laughs> um, Zachy, do you do you have a a guess as to who the Red Angel is? Uh, I I have no serious guess. My my joke guess still stands, okay. but I, have, right. I couldn't begin to guess. Right. Is that Cyborg um, still? Yeah, I. Yes, is that the go- yes. <laughs> sexy sexy Cyborg. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Cyborg in Harry Mudd's uh, lady suit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, I, I do, I do, uh, think, uh, that the short treks had a reason to exist. Uh, we've already seen, uh, s- basically the third of those, uh, short treks pay off in a big way in this episode. Um, yeah, I think that Calypso's, one of Calypso's stars may, uh, may play a big part in who the Red Angel is. A thousand years in the future, Zora has come back. The computer, the ship's computer, to to, to help. I don't know. I hey, mean, why not? I think that that's a great guess. I really do, and I I, I kind of hope that it pans out. But who knows what's going to happen? I mean, this show has thrown us curveballs in the past. But I, I I'm I'm kind of with you that you you would think that they would be planting that seed for some reason. Uh, I mean, it was a beautiful story in and of itself. I really enjoyed that. Story. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, but absolutely. if it does bleed into the series proper, I certainly wouldn't complain. So 
Anyway, well, thank you, everybody. But that's going to do it for episode 37 of Discovery Debrief. We hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it is posted. Speaking of which, Debrief is engaged into a partnership with the developers of officially licensed browser-based game Star Trek Alien Domain Incursion. Send us proof of your review of the show on social media or via email, and we'll send you a key code that's worth approximately $60 of in-game items. It's that simple. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook-like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes, and be sure to join us as we convene next time to discuss a brand new episode of our subject series as we continue into Season 2. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. Mm -hmm.